Thanks, Kathy. Uh, be really helpful if you can keep that reading open. Uh, we are starting a new series today. How exciting. Uh, and we're going to be looking through uh, the book of Luke in this next term. It's going to be great. I'm really excited about the series. Uh, there's lots of reasons to uh, love Luke's account, and I want to show you some of those tonight. Um, but I want to remind you as we get started that uh, in the evening, we always have a Q&A at the end of the sermon. So if there are things that are unclear, uh, or if you want to ask me uh, any questions at all, we have a time of questioning straight after the sermon, and um, I would love to take your questions. So maybe you can write them down on your Care and Connect card as we go through. Uh, let me pray and ask uh, God to help us. Heavenly Father, thanks uh, for Luke's account of Jesus' life. Thanks, Father, that you saw fit for him to write it down and that it's been preserved all the way through uh, to today. We pray, Father, we might meet your son Jesus in this book and that you might make our faith certain. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's interesting. I, I've uh, been reflecting a little as we come to this, uh, to this passage tonight on the fact that there are different ways you can understand how the world works. And uh, here's three. There's probably a lot more, but here's three. Uh, you can start off by thinking that the world is run by luck. You can say that the world is run by karma. Or you can say the world is run by faith. And I want to think for a second about what each of those three options might look like for us. If you think the world is run by luck, then what you're saying is sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down. And uh, you might be the sort of person who goes, uh, school's just started again, I've got exactly the teacher I wanted, how lucky am I? Or alternatively, you might be driving to work tomorrow morning and you get the string of red lights so that every light for five sets of lights is bad and you go, bad luck for me today, you know? Everything's down if you think that the world is run. So, so sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. What about if you're, you're, you're world, you understand the world by karma? Karma is somebody's keeping the score. So the good things you do, you get more good back. The bad stuff you do, bad stuff comes back to you. And so it's basically a kind of big accounting system that happens in the sky somewhere. Something is keeping score, and good or bad comes to you based on what you do. There's a third option, at least a third option, and that's the faith option, which says not sometimes, not some thing, but someone, somebody is behind the universe. Somebody loves us. Somebody is working out all things for the good of those who love them. And so here we are. We would say that we're in a world of faith, or at least that's what I would say, and I want to invite you to uh, through this series. But which one of these that we actually operate by is revealed when we're waiting for important things? Not, not waiting at the traffic lights. But when you're hanging out for something really important to happen in your life, what you believe about the way the world works will impact what you do while you wait. So if we think about uh, waiting for a really important thing and you believe in luck, then basically it's what we call fatalism. And what that basically means is I can't do anything about it. The stars will decide, okay, and it'll just happen. So I'll just fall back and let it happen. I've said here, it's a matter of personality and pizza. Let me explain what I mean there. Uh, are there any people here who call themselves an optimist? Can you put your hand up if you're an optimist? Okay. Can I just say, I just want to talk to my huddle because I'm in this group. I just want to talk to these really important people in the building. We are a very small group. 
Um, I've done this three times across the day, and the number of optimists I could literally sit in the front row here. That's interesting to me, because I figure it's the only way to look at the world. But it's funny, because if you're something else, is anyone here a pessimist? I can see a couple of hands. And as I said to you, uh, a couple of you sitting here going, I don't need to do a personality test at night uh, at church. Is that right? In fact, keep your hands down and look at me blankly, and I'll take that as your vote. Okay, good, all right. But, but here's the thing. So if you're an if you're a, a optimist, everything is going to come right eventually, just because. Okay? That's, that's kind of weird. Okay? If you're a pessimist, everything that's good will go to what? Bad soon. That's what you just think. Okay? It's a terrible way to live your life, and it's not based on anything other than your personality, or if you have a bad piece of pizza, everything looks bad, doesn't it? Like your stomach's upset, everything's bad. All right. So it's based on personality or pizza. What about if it's karma? How does your waiting, how's your waiting impacted if you're a person who's signed into karma? Well, it comes down to effort, right? So what do I want? I'm waiting, I'm longing for this really important thing. So what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be shoveling good things into the bin of good things that good things might flow back to me. So I'm going to work really hard to make the universe owe me good things back. Do you see? Hey, universe, have you seen me walking old ladies across the road? No, well, whatever it is that you do, right, to try and be counted as a good person. So karma, you'll work hard while you're waiting. What about the faith one? What about the faith one? In the faith one, we trust. We trust. It's not that you'll never do anything. It's not that you just fall back and flop. But we trust. So in obedience and in patient love, we wait for God's good timing while we hang out for the really important thing we're looking for. We are casting ourselves on God's good timing. So there's a different way of looking at how we should wait. It's worth saying as we come to the start of this book of Luke, Israel had been waiting. They'd been waiting for 400 years. Does anyone know without checking what the last book in the Old Testament is called? Sorry? Well done. Malachi is correct. Or Malachi, if you want, for the last soccer player mentioned in the Bible. The Italian prophet, nicely played, Jeff, and other nerdy minister jokes. Let them go through to the keeper. Don't be concerned. But the last, so the last book in the Bible is, is Malachi, and it's written about 400 years before Jesus. So the last time we have a book is 400 years ago. Now, the people of God, in the meantime, have had, um, we've done Babylonians and Assyrians, we've had Greeks, and now we've got Romans who've occupied the land. Israel is in tatters. Foreign forces are in the land, and if you're someone who's hanging out for the good promises made to Abraham and others to come true in the Old Testament, you're going, God, where is it? Do you remember your people? And so Israel have been waiting for 400 years, and we're about to see God start showing his plan that he has had since before the creation of the world. And we're going to see it involves an old man and a very young girl. But before we get to that, I want to tell you a little bit more about Luke. Uh, does anyone's uh, cupboard look like this at the moment at home? Isaac, you can put your hand up, bud. Nice. Okay. Uh, so literally, don't, you don't have to shame yourself publicly, but does anyone's cupboard look like this? Now, if, if they do, um, did you know that there's a Japanese fairy um, who can make all your cupboards right? Has anyone heard who the Japanese fairy is? Can someone call out her name? Marie Kondo, okay. 
Annabelle introduced me to Marie Kondo, so you're responsible for this. Okay, but okay, so you can look like it's all out of order. Everything is a disaster. And then you introduce a Japanese fairy, and all of a sudden what happens is、um, everything gets sorted out. You throw away everything that doesn't spark joy, okay? And then you fold it in little thirds. Anyway, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But I like this because I like order in my life. Okay? And wonderfully, I want to tell you a huge segue. I want to tell you Luke is a person who likes order. Look with me at verses 1 to 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So here's what I want you to know Luke wants to write an orderly account, and he has a lot of things to draw from. He's got eyewitness accounts, he's got people who have been remembering the sayings of Jesus, and Luke has investigated everything, and then he's ordered it into an account of the life of Jesus for a guy called Theophilus. Theophilus is not a Jew. He's a Gentile, and that's really important for us because it means that we're getting to look at the information about Jesus from outside the Jewish faith. That's really helpful because you and I, most of us, unless someone comes and tells me at supper otherwise, are not Jews. Is that right? So here's a gospel written by someone who wasn't a Jew for people who weren't Jews. That's good for us to know. But let me tell you a little bit more about Luke being ordered. If,、uh, if we look, Luke wrote two books. He wrote Luke and he also wrote the book of Acts. Luke, this book, is about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, and Acts is about how the early church started. I remember being really excited. If you're a kid here, I, I did Sunday school for years and years, and I never knew how the church was started. And then one day I was reading through my Bible and I found Acts, and I went,、oh, here's the bit no one told me at Sunday school. It's how the church started, and Luke wrote that. As well. Now, he writes with a series of sections that lead us from the beginning, a great original name for that first bit,、uh, to Jerusalem at the end. And、uh, he does so so that this first section takes about, covers about 30 years of Jesus' life. This section here, about two and a half years. This is about six months. And then this section is one week in Jesus' life. How amazing is that? There's more time spent on the last week of Jesus' life than his first 30 years. Isn't that intriguing? Why is that? Because what's the most important thing that Jesus did? Everyone can guess the hints behind me, right? He died on the cross, right? And so Luke focuses on that and takes us there. So let me tell you about how he orders it. We start off in chapter 1 where he says, I'm writing you an orderly account. In chapter 4, verse 16, we're told, Jesus went to Nazareth. Got handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and then scrolled through it. You know, we scroll through things like this. It used to be a physical, he scrolled through it and found the place where it was written. And he says, I'm reading to you what I'm reading to you today, I am fulfilling in your presence. And he starts his ministry from there in chapter four. Then we see after he's done、uh, about two and a half years of wandering around Galilee in 951, it says, 
As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. What's happening there is, from 9.51 all the way through to the end of the book, Jesus is going, I am going to Jerusalem, and when I get there, I'm going to die. I've come to die. And so from that point onwards, we are heading towards Jerusalem. In uh, chapter 19, uh, I think it's 44 is the end of that section, 45 is the start of the next one. He goes into the temple, and do you remember Jesus turns over the tables of the money changers? Do you remember that? That's the first thing he does in that last week of his life, and you can understand things get pretty pretty aggro from there, and Jesus ends up crucified. So that's the structure for Luke. It's worth saying, uh, Luke is an amazing author. He wrote a huge amount of the New Testament. Uh, The book of Luke and the book of Acts are the two longest books in the whole of the New Testament. If you put Luke and Acts together, Luke as an author wrote more than anyone else in the whole of the New Testament, wrote 27% of the whole New Testament. And in his account of the gospel, Luke's account of Jesus' life, 35% of the material is only covered by him. It's not in any other gospel. And you think, why does that matter? I'll tell you why it matters. In Luke's gospel, we hear only from Luke about the parable of the prodigal son. Do you remember that? The son that went astray? It's only in Luke. We know about the parable of the good Samaritan. Do you love that one? It's only in Luke. We hear the story of the widow who puts her small coin in, and Jesus says she gave more than everyone else. Do you remember that one? It's only in Luke. And then we get the story of Mary and Martha. Do you remember? Martha, Martha, you're so busy. Mary has chosen what's better. She's sitting down at the feet of Jesus and listening to Jesus. It's only in Luke. Now, interestingly, the last two show us something unique about Luke too. He loves showing the place of women in the early church. It's just one of his distinctives. So who was Luke, this man who wrote this account of the life of Jesus? Well, he was a Gentile, which is the technical word for someone who's not a Jew. Um, He was a physician or a doctor. He was a companion of the Apostle Paul, so the one who planted all the churches in the book of Acts. Luke says there's sometimes when he's doing that with, uh, with Paul, so he's seen the word of God go out to the whole world, and he's a theologian and historian. He put all the information together to tell a story about Jesus. Well, what's he on about? What are the areas that he focuses on? He's focused on the kingdom of God. He likes to say Jesus is the king of God's kingdom, and here he is bringing it into the world. He's interested in fulfillment, so he says the Old Testament is being made real in Jesus. All those promises, they're coming about in Jesus. He tells us a lot about Christology, which is not the word that you really need to remember. He explains who Jesus is, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of David. It's all the son ofs, okay? And he explains what they mean. He also tells us about salvation by faith, which most of the gospel writers do. He says also salvation is for all nations, and that's because he's a Gentile. Hey, God's plan isn't just for the Jews. It's been for and always is for the whole world. And then lastly, and I think most impressively in Luke's gospel, he says salvation is for the least. It's for the people that you wouldn't normally include. It's for the people who are poor, not just poor in spirit, but who don't have any money. It's for tax collectors. And when I say tax collectors, church, you all should know to go, boo. Sorry, Darren. 
you were a tax collector? Well, this is the reason that obviously you'll spontaneously... No, that's, uh, that's good to know, Darren. Uh, but in the Old Testament, New Testament, if you're a tax collector for the foreign Roman government, everybody, when I say tax collector, should go boo. So we just practice tax collector. Right. But do you know that they're included in the kingdom of God? That's amazing. Yay, that's right, Annabelle. Or, huh? How does that work? So uh, the poor, the tax collectors, prostitutes... The people who are on the outside of society, Luke goes out of his way. Jesus loves them. He includes them. He enfolds them into his family. It's an extraordinary emphasis that Luke has, and one of the reasons that I think we're going to have a great time reading through this account of Jesus' life. Well, I told you God's plan was being fulfilled. God's plan was being fulfilled, and that it would start with an old man. We're going to meet a man called Zechariah, full of faith and sadness full of faith and sadness. And his sadness, we'll see, comes from a longing that is unfulfilled. Have a look with me at verses 5 and following. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. And there's a great sadness. There's a great sadness and some of us will know the trial and the, the, the tenderness of spirit that comes with this. There's a great sadness for Zechariah in that his longing has not been fulfilled. I want you to see though, both he and his wife were priests. His job, he's a priest. Our, our day he'd be the minister, right? So he's a priest, and his wife is descended from Aaron, and you kind of go, why does that matter? Because he was a priest. So both of them are from the priestly line. They're also very faithful. And when we find an old couple in the Bible who can't have a, a, a child, I think we're reminded of Abraham and Sarah. And we know what God did graciously there, don't we? Graciously, extraordinarily, God enabled them to have a child. And so we're hanging out to see what will happen in this story. And it happens on a day when he has a special honour. So Zechariah is a priest. There's about no, no, there's thousands of people who are priests. They're divided up into 12 groups. And then at different times of the month, a different group is on. So his group is on. And then from that group, they cast lots. And you kind of go, what's that? I don't know either, but it probably wasn't rolling dice. It might have been drawing short straws or whatever. Basically, it was a way to pick somebody at random. And it would have been an absolute high point for Zechariah to be chosen to be the one person that day who would go into the temple and burn incense. Just him on his own in this massive building that was devoted to God. What a special honor. And so on that day, he walks into the holy place. And I reckon he walked in with expectations. Let me tell you about expectations. When I'm on holidays, I like taking landscape photography. It's just one of my things. And more than that, dawn photography. And one of the joys of uh, dawn photography is you never know what you're going to get. That's um, Forrest Gump, isn't it? Love is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. It's the same with uh, dawn photography, right? So I go out there filled with expectations. And sometimes you have what's called an unrise. 
Well, that's what I call it anyway, where the sun really doesn't come up, it just turns light grey and nothing glorious happens and you just stand there and go, oh, well, I got up very early and nothing happened. But sometimes, every time I go with expectations, but sometimes I go and it ends up looking like this and God paints the sky, fills it with colour and I just stand there in awe going, click, take the photo, it looks amazing. I love it, right? I go with expectation every time, and sometimes I'm blown away at what God does. I reckon Zechariah walked into the temple that day filled with expectation and was blown away by what God did. Have a look at what happened next uh, in verses 11 and following. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Does anyone know why he was startled and gripped by fear? He's the only bloke in the temple. And all of a sudden, next to the altar of incense, freak out, there's somebody else there. More than that, it's not just somebody, it says there's an angel of the Lord standing next to the altar. When Zechariah saw him, he was uh, startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, does anyone know what angels always say? Do not be afraid. And so that's the first thing he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son And you will call him John. This is so precious, guys. I mean, it is really amazing. There had not been an appearance of it by an angel, at least best we can tell, since the time of Daniel and Zechariah. That's the last recorded angel in the the Old Testament. And so here's Zechariah. He'd know his Bible really well. And now all of a sudden, for him personally, there is an angel standing next to the altar of God. This is a standout moment in the history of Israel. Whoa, 400 years it's been. Here's an angel. More than that, the angel has assurance for him. I I just want you to hear how beautiful this is. What happens when we have a prayer of longing? A prayer of longing is we often wonder, is there anyone else on the end of the phone? Does God really hear me? The longing of their heart. And so I want you to see how beautiful it is that it says here, your prayer has been heard. God was listening. God had heard the prayer of his faithful servants and had been listening. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. It's extraordinary news. How could it be? How would it happen? Now, for some of us, uh, we know that the uh, forecasting the future isn't really a very reliable science. Um, You know, sometimes it'll say damaging hail is coming and we should pay attention, shouldn't we, Oren Park? Yes, yes, we should. Even if they're not always right, put something over your car or get it. Anyway, you get the idea. But it's not always right. Too often you get the extreme weather warning and then it just gets cancelled. Or it's going to be 400 degrees tomorrow and it's only 35 and you think that's okay. Anyway, you get the idea. Our, Our weather predictions aren't very good. What what I want you to see is how accurate and beautiful this prediction from God is. We're going to see that it is wonderfully specific. Uh, Look at what Zechariah is told. Uh, He is told that he will have a son, that he will call him John, that he will be a joy and delight, that many will rejoice in him. He will be great. He'll never take wine. He'll be filled with the Spirit. He'll bring Israel back. He'll be empowered like Elijah. He'll turn parents to children and he will prepare the people for the coming of their Lord. Now, I think I count out 11 specific things that he's told. But I want you to think with me for a second. Does John the Baptist exist yet? 
This is who they're talking about. This is the John. Does John exist yet? No. Zechariah is standing where? You're following along. They're in the temple. Where's his wife? At home, somewhere else. And yet he's just been told, here's all the things this son of yours will be and do and be called. It's extraordinary, isn't it? The plan of God doesn't even need John to exist for all of these things to be true. It will only happen, of course, when he goes home. Wink, wink, nudge, 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 nudge. Everyone with me, yes? John can't exist until he goes home, but here it is, declared in full what his life will be like. I think this is extraordinary. And it is also everything an old priest could hope for. My boy will be great. He'll turn people back to God. He will be a Nazarite, someone who's set aside for the purposes of God. You know, it could not have been more beautiful for Zechariah to have heard these things. But you know, sometimes things seem too good to be true, you know, like this, right? It's got to have been Photoshopped, doesn't it? Uh, it's too good to be true. If you went there, there'd be, you know, cans on the beach or something and sharks in the water, I don't know, whatever. It's, it's never as good as it appears to be, right? And we know on the internet... If it's too good, what do we know? Uh, don't worry about the scripture for a second, I'll tell you this. Um, if it sounds too good to be true, this is good words, put this in the back of your Bible somewhere, this is an important scripture. It's not. Uh, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That's just great advice for you on the internet, everybody, yes? If a Nigerian prince is offering... No, anyway, you get the idea, okay? If it sounds too good to be true, we should doubt it. And here's Zechariah, and I think he doubts it. Have a look with me at verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can, it, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. What he's saying is this isn't going to work out. It's not possible physically. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, bucko. Uh, no, that's not in there. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which, came, which will come true at their appointed time. The bucko is not in the Hebrew original. But, but the idea, basically the angel is saying, you need to pay attention. I'm a messenger from God. This will happen. He says, how can I be sure? The angel says, it's sure because I'm telling you. And now you're not going to be able to speak. In fact, you're not going to be able to tell anything, anything about what's happened here until young John O'Boy comes into being. You're going to be totally silent. I said jokingly this morning it might be a mercy to his wife, I'm not sure, but uh, he's not going to be able to say anything until he's born. But I want you to see how beautifully faithful Elizabeth is. In verse, 20, in verse 23 it says, When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. She just rejoices in the goodness of God, even as her husband remains silent. Now, does anyone know who this guy here is? His name's Edward Norton. That's his name. And uh, I was at a party one night, and this girl came up to me and said, you are Edward Norton. Now, I, she obviously needed glasses or something, but she said, you are Edward Norton. I said, I'm really not. She said, no, you're exactly the same. And I'm like, can't see it. Anyway, um, mistaken identity happens, but not with God. 
not with God. Have a look at this in uh, verses 26 and following. The next part of God's incredible plan for the whole universe involves a young girl. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Oh, sorry, uh, verse 28. Where am I going from? So 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin. We all know this stuff, don't we? To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named a descendant of David. The virgin's name was. And the angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, you guys know, what did the angel say to her? You guys are right, that's what they always say. Don't be afraid, you have found favour with God. I just want to slow down for a second, this is so well known, but I want to slow down for a second, I want to show you. God knows Mary's name. Angel Gabriel appears and doesn't just say, hey woman, I've got a job for you. Would have been rude, but could have done that. Mary, Mary, he addresses her by name. How beautiful. God knows Mary's name. That's amazing. More than that, God knows Mary's address. Now, you guys think that's kind of funny, right? But the angel Gabriel has to find out of all the people on the face of the earth, this woman, Mary, who's going to bear the Son of God, knows exactly where she lives, comes and turns up on her doorstep. God knows Mary's name. God knows Mary's address. And more than that, far more beautifully than that, God knows Mary's heart. He sees, he looks in, he knows her inner life. Of all the people on the face of the earth, God knows Mary's heart and he loves her heart and he chooses her. And then he reveals in an extraordinary way what is going to happen. And so Mary is told in the verses that, that, that follow that she will conceive, that she will have a son, that she will name him Jesus, that he will be great. He'll be the son of the Most High. He will sit on David's throne. He will reign forever. The Holy Spirit be at work. He will be the Son of God. Now, for Zechariah and Elizabeth to have a son was extraordinary because what? They're old and crusty. I think that's the technical term, right? It was unlikely that that would ever happen. What's the problem with Mary having a son at the moment? Yeah, she's only engaged. She doesn't have a husband yet. There's an important part of the equation missing. But she's told, you will conceive, you'll have a son, and more than just that, he will be great. He will be the son of God. What an extraordinary situation. And yet all alone, this incredible woman, her response, of course, she says in verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. For no word from God will ever fail. Verse 38, look at how beautiful this is. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. All alone, this young girl, and she may have been as young as 13 or 14, really young, this young girl chooses to say, I'm the Lord's servant may be used by you, God. Now, that speaks to our youngsters here today and say, God can use you. Depends on whether we're going to be available. What, what do you do if something exciting happens at the cricket? I was at the cricket last night. 
Not very many exciting things happen, but if, if something exciting happens at the cricket, what do you do? Well, you leap for joy. And I could say that this was part of the cricket, but it wasn't. It was singing YMCA when it was raining. So, okay, but, but here's the thing. The song came on and everyone leapt out of their seats and did the, you know, you, I won't do it, but you, that's what they were doing. You leap with joy when something good happens. And we see that happen for unborn John and unborn Jesus. Have a look with me at verses 39 and following. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. They were related, Mary and Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. She says in verse 44, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Here's the extraordinary thing. It's a moving greeting. That's a kind of fun thing, isn't it? John the Baptist is not born, but he leaps when he meets Jesus because that's his job. His job is to prepare the way for the Lord. But what does this tell us? In our current environment, which says that the unborn have no rights and no place in the world, I want you to see unborn John is fulfilling his role as he meets unborn Jesus. Real people. Yeah? That's an extraordinary truth that John and Jesus are not just cells. They're they're real people and they're already engaging together. The Holy Spirit is involved, and so it's amazing, isn't it? The baby leaps, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that was an awesome thing for her. And I just want you to see how faith-filled these women are. Here's faithful Mary and faithful Elizabeth. Again, Luke just doing his thing, loving women. So how should we apply what we've learnt tonight? I think it's all about being faithful. It's all about being faithful. We need to be faithful in our prayers of longing. Keep praying. What was the word that God said to Zechariah? Your prayers have been heard. Don't give up on your prayers of longing. Secondly, we need to be faithful in obedience in obscurity. Let me explain what that means. Some of us have a high profile. We're up the front. We do things. People look to us. If that's you, be obedient. Some of us aren't that. We're the people nobody notices, the people nobody looks out for. And I want you to know God sees you. Be obedient in your obscurity because God's watching. Seize your heart. Be faithful where you are. Thirdly, we need to be faithful in offering ourselves to the Lord whether we're old or whether we're young. God is ready to use you if you'll put your life at his disposal. So I don't want you to have a life filled with luck. Not very fun. I don't want you to have a life driven by karma. It's just not a way to live. I want you to have a life filled with faith because we are told here no word from God will ever fail. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, would you fill us with faith and trust in you that we might know you hear our prayers, that we might know that our Saviour loves the least, that we might know that no word of yours will ever fail. Help us to be obedient in obscurity. Help us to put our lives at your disposal, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. There's a start to our series on Luke, and we're going to keep going uh, through the next nine chapters um, over this term. Has anyone got any questions to follow up?
from what we've just heard. Remember, they can be on anything you want. It, there might be something to clarify, or you might say, what happened here, or something like that. So we've got a question for us. Yeah. Tell us your question. Okay, so my question was, um, with Mary and um, no Elizabeth, yes. yeah, so they were cousins, they were related. Yes. So my question was, um, what was the whole purpose of them having to be related? In like, what was the, yeah. What was the upside of that? Yeah. I don't know. Here's, here's my thought. Ready for just speculation, shooting from the hip. If you're a pregnant girl who's not married in Israel... How many friends do you think you have? None. <laughs> you are excluded on the basis that you have done something grievously wrong. Now, whether it's fair to blame her or not, that was what would have happened. You're pregnant and you're not married. That's very, very bad. It's bad for society, and so she would have been excluded. To have a relative who's on the inside of knowing that holy pregnancy is possible... I'm really shooting from my hip here, is beautiful because who will believe the story? No, 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 I'm pregnant. It's God. An angel appeared to me and told me I was going to... Guys, it sounds incredible, doesn't it? It's an extraordinary story. No one could possibly, except the woman whose husband saw an angel and told her she'd have a baby that couldn't. So there's my speculation. I think it's actually beautiful protection for Mary. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Great question. Someone else got a question? Yeah, Tim. I was just wondering, uh, it mentions that John the Baptist isn't to drink wine, and I wonder if that's connected. Is that connected at all when Jesus at the Last Supper talks about how he will no longer drink wine until the kingdom is restored, or is there any significance? That's beautiful, Tim. I'm going to acknowledge that you're at Theological College at the moment, and that's a uh, a brilliantly insightful question. Um, (laughs) Uh, let's say that it's a path of inquiry. I look forward to you telling me what you find. <laughs> is, that, is that all right? Um, I, I, re- I really like your connection, and I think the question's perfectly legitimate. Um, Jesus and wine and the drinking it in the new kingdom, all of that is beautiful. I, I love that you've picked that up. Could I say anything definitive on it? No. But I think it's a great line of inquiry, and I look forward to you telling me what you find. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, Annabelle. Oh, one at the back? Yeah, go, Kathy. Um, I was just, my thoughts are, I always thought God was hard on Zechariah, but he wasn't yes. hard. Why was, like, Mary did the same. I'm, I'm a virgin, so how's it going to happen? Zechariah saying, I'm old. How's it, like, Sarah, I'm old. How's it, he treated Sarah, yeah. he just, you know, he, he reprimanded but Zechariah got silence for, what, nine months? Yeah, made mute for nine months. months. That's why a, is God so down yeah, why on... Why is he yeah. hard on them and not on Mary? I, I, had, um, I had a text conversation this morning after I preached it with someone asking me exactly the same question, Cathy. I think it naturally arises from the text, doesn't it? And um, I, I wonder if it's because um, Zechariah's had more trips around the sun, he's an older man, whether God's saying, hey, buddy, you know I'm able to do this. It's your life's job to represent God to people. So when God appears to you and asks you to trust him for the impossible and you say, how can that be? 
it's not just a reasonable human question, which I think it is. It's also, Zechariah, you've been telling everyone God's extraordinary for all your life. And now he's extraordinary this far away from you, and you want to question it. Now, I'm speculating, Kathy, because I don't know, but I think it's a perfectly reasonable question. I'm sure I'd do it. And it does seem it's a disproportionate response because Mary goes, hey, how can this be? And it seems that Mary gets to talk for nine months, but Zechariah doesn't. So I wonder if there's something in there, something about his role and something about his experience, which is, man, you've been representing God to others, and here's God up close to you, and you doubt. I wonder. Yeah, Annabelle. I want to ask about um, Luke's purpose in writing, his ordinary yes. account for Theophilus, yes. which I'm layman's guess translates as son of God, Theophilus. Ah, Theophil- Theophilus. Yeah, Theos like is that. God, Philus is lover, so lover of God. Is that his adopted Christian name? I'm wondering if the text is written to support somebody young in faith or to convince them. Is it an evangelistic tool? Can you unpack that at That's such a great question, um, Annabelle. So uh, a lot of speculation has gone in in all the lines that you just asked me. Um, And if you want to read lots of essays, you'll have people who take a very dogmatic position on one of those ends. So Theophilus is a real person. It's just his name. And so he's paid the money to help Luke to write the account. You just need to treat him like a real guy. Other end of the spectrum? Lover of God, that's a great placeholder for all people who would want to know more about Jesus. And so he isn't a real person. It's a placeholder to invite everybody into the story. Okay? And you can have people who will make a really strong case for either of them. And the only reason you find two strong cases existing is because it's not resolvable in the text. Does that make sense? And so we could speculate. I would think probably because it got written that it needed to be sponsored in some way. And so there actually is more of a patron kind of relationship to a real guy. That would be my speculation. Just because it's such a vast work and because he's done all this investigation, I think someone said to him, can you do this for me? I'm willing to help make it happen. That's my speculation. But the name opens us up legitimately to that question. Does that sound okay? Awesome. See, question time's fun. I'm going to stop now. Um, Thank you very much. If you've got more questions, come find me or write them on the Care and Connect cards. Uh, this is a good moment to mention them before we take the Lord's Supper. Um, if you are new with us, uh, come and chat with us. Uh, I don't, has anyone got a green badge on tonight? Come, come chat with me. Uh, Jeff, Tim, Lawrence here somewhere. Sorry? Doing supper. Uh, and we would love to help you get connected at church here. Um, if you are new, though, and you haven't already ticked, Tick the box and signed up to our newsletter. Please do that. Um, that'd be really.